Episode number 264, Pedestal Christianity with Nate Bramson and Phil Battle. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here. As we get going this week, I want to let you know about our brand new monthly custom media plans from 1230 Media. We have three monthly options for you to have us produce custom graphics and video for your church or your ministry. Our team is growing, and we have hand-selected folks to join our team that are incredible designers and video producers. Incredible quality work. I'm so proud of our team. And if you're watching the video version of this podcast, I want you to take a look at this video to learn a little bit more about these plans and to see the incredible work that our team is doing at really affordable prices for ministry. Check this out. Introducing monthly custom media plans from 1230 Media. Affordable, no-contract monthly plans for custom graphic design and video for your church. Custom sermon series designs, announcement graphics, social media graphics, sermon bumpers and trailers, promotional videos, countdowns, church announcement videos, and more. Choose between custom graphics, custom video, or graphics and video plans. Harness the power of a full creative team every month to serve your church or ministry with plans starting at only $600 per month. Join hundreds of churches using 1230 Media to transform your worship experience. Get started today at 1230.media slash pricing. That's 1230.media slash pricing. Hey guys, we are really excited about these monthly plans. This gives your church an easy no contract option to have a full creative team for your church or your ministry at literally one-third the price of a full-time staff member. Now, it's not our mission to replace media guys at churches. Uh, It's our mission to come alongside your team that has so many media needs uh, that can't keep up. When I started this ministry uh, several years ago, I thought we were just going to serve small churches uh, that maybe did not have a creative team or creative uh, designers and video guys on staff. Uh, But that has not been the case. We serve small, medium, even mega churches uh, because the media needs on your team are so great right now. Uh, The graphics and video needs, there's so many of them, Uh, even for big church, you might say, as well as kids ministry, student ministry, and all the events that you have going on uh, at your church. It is hard for one, two, even a small team of people to keep up with so many needs that the church has. So, We want to come alongside you, uh, no matter your church size and no matter your church budget. We can uh, we can help you uh, with both of those things. So we would really love to help you uh, with custom graphics and video. And we hope that these monthly plans uh, will give you some affordable options, no contract options to do so. All right, I am really excited about today's episode as I welcome an old friend of mine. Nate Bramson is in the house. Nate is an evangelist that travels around the world sharing the gospel. It's not uncommon for Nate to speak dozens of times over a month and be anywhere in the world. Sometimes I'll I'll text him just to hang out. 
just to see how he's doing, and he'll be in Africa or Egypt or uh, flying across somewhere and, and never, uh, you know, rarely being home in his bed, that kind of thing. Uh, he is the executive director of Rock International, which is a great ministry that serves and equips the church with tools to reach and disciple people in nations around the globe. I'll also share an interview that I did last year with my friend Phil Battle. Uh, Last year, Phil and I felt like we were following each other uh, as we landed at multiple conferences together last year. And I talked with Phil at SALT Conference a little bit about uh, the, the fact that the win is not a perfect worship experience. It's to put Jesus on display. So we'll talk about that. And we're going to dive right into our first interview with Nate Brampson right after this. Check this out. Hey guys, I wanted to let you know about an awesome event happening this week. It's called the 222 Challenge. It's for Christian songwriters, artists, and worship leaders. It's completely free and will help you grow your craft, your character, and your community. Here's my friend Brad Gouldman to tell you more about it and how to get tickets. Here's Brad. Hey, it's Brad Gouldemon from Christian Music Mentor here, and I want to invite you to our free seven-day challenge for aspiring Christian artists, songwriters, and worship leaders. We have a ton of different sessions and speakers by people like Mandisa, Christy Knuckles, Ben Calhoun of Citizens Way, and much more. It's going to be an amazing time of learning and community together. You can join for free today at www.222challenge.com. Would love to see you there. Hey guys, today I welcome an old friend of mine to the show. Nate Brampson is in the house. Nate is the founder of Rock International and the author of What If Jesus Meant What He Said. Uh, He is a much in demand speaker in all parts of the world and he's hidden away right now. We have him in an undisclosed location. I can't tell you where he is, uh, but he's in the house. What's up, buddy? Man, it's good to be with you, Carl. You too, man. So, uh, so give us a little bit about um, Rock International, how you started that, and just a little bit about you. Just be real quick on that. Sure, absolutely. I mean, honestly, the most important thing about me is uh, I'm saved by grace. I'm in Christ, and uh, that's my identity. And I've always said on my tombstone one day, I want four words, in Christ, alive forever, because that's all that's really going to matter. But that being said, um, yeah, I grew up in West Africa. And uh, spent most of my life in North Africa, ministering in a couple different countries. Uh, my passion is just to know Christ, but also to see His name known among places that are currently unreached in the world, and to see this generation be a generation of unconditional Christ followers, where Christ said it, and because He said it, that's enough. Let's do it. Um, so, yeah. So uh, I tell people this story. We went to college together, and I, I tell people the story that I had an African American friend in college. Um, and then when I bring you along, people are like, hey, hang on. <laughs> just taking about for a second. Uh, and I'm sure you got in trouble in school or is a question mark for when you check the box. Of- I, I did for sure. I, I would fill the application form without them seeing me. I'd arrive for the interview or for uh, <laughs> uh, whatever scholarship application and uh, they'd question it. And, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, because so often we can just like associate things as skin colors. But uh, I'm. I'm African um, to the core, and yeah, I I love my my heritage in that sense. But at the same time, I'm so thankful that God's a creative God and that He uh, is so diverse in the way that He makes us. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Um, awesome. Okay, so this week I, I wanted to have you in because I want to talk about 
pedestal Christianity, and it's a little bit of a, a unique phrase or term, um, but I, a, a lot of, um, and, and I've served at a, at a mega church, and and I have a lot of uh, you know associates and, and friends that are that are serving in in large churches as well. And sometimes in the American church, we can kind of put our pastor up on a pedestal, or our, our worship leaders For up sure. on a pedestal. Anybody that's on the the stage, we can kind of put them up um, up high, uh, and almost I don't want to say worship them, but in a yeah. way we can. Um, and yeah. so I want to talk to you because you have a lot of experience of all over the world. You travel all over the place all the time. Um, and so I, I want to bring in your perspective of you travel everywhere. You kind of see different countries and how they're doing church. And, and I want to kind of compare that to the American church and, and talk about this idea of pedestal Christianity. So why don't you set us up here? What does that phrase mean to you and kind of set us up on the topic? Absolutely. And even as, as uh, when I say, you know, I'm not talking to you, Carl, because you obviously know, but on this podcast, uh, whenever I listen, it, we, we keep coming back to this idea of worship. And so you just mentioned that, and this is really where pedestal Christianity emerges. Let me say this as a disclaimer. Um, I am by no means against anyone. So don't ever take this yeah. as a direction towards a certain speaker, musician. In fact, I praise God for the, the diversity in the church, the ministries he's given. But we actually do a disservice to the gospel itself, I believe. And this has really become uh, become a more major issue, obviously, since the since the advancement of media. And that's, that's kind of an undisputed thing, because obviously now we have access to nearly 7 billion people, right? And so you can take someone who lives in the, the hills of West Virginia and they can be watched over in the plains of Bangladesh. So that's kind of clearly there. But why is it danger? Why, why is there a danger? Why should this even be brought up? And I come back to the gospel on this. There's two elements to it. And when we see pedestal Christianity, what we do is we tend to elevate. We elevate um, a person's ministry or maybe a person's even personality. And we say that, you know, now, they can be used of God. And so it's kind of like we direct people towards them. Well, on the intrinsic level, we miss a couple elements of the gospel. First of all, whoever we might be promoting, we have to recognize something about uh, who they are. They're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. On their best of days, they are a sinner saved by grace. And we must never forget the foundation of their faith if they're saved. And that is who Christ is. And so if we give glory, and this is interesting, it says clearly in scripture that Christ does not share his glory with anyone. Well, hang on. If someone's getting glory, if I'm getting glory, Christ isn't taking it in, in the sense that it's gone to me. I'm robbing God of glory. And many times I don't think it's even the speaker that's so much robbing God of glory as much as the one who's giving the glory to that individual. And, and I know that might sound like a cliche when we say, well, glory to God, if, but it's true. And so we have to first recognize the gospel in the life of that individual. But the second thing we do is oftentimes we rob uh, just the, the, the vision of seeing God's glory in others. I was in a, in a prison the other day. And I won't say where it was, but um, you know, I say I was in a prison. I wasn't actually a prisoner, although um, many followers of Christ, I believe, will be prisoners of the gospel, per se, as they take the gospel of the world. But in this sense, I was just visiting um, a prison. And there was just uh, some individuals there who were either on life sentence or going to be sentenced. Um, and I remember just randomly choosing one of the individuals. 
And I said, I don't know what you're, what you're here for. I don't know much about your life, but I just want to tell you what God sees when he sees you. And I just went back to the gospel. I said, you're knit together inside your mother's womb. You're love with an everlasting love. Christ died for you. I mean, how can I look at you and not value you? And I realized later on, he had just uh, killed his girlfriend in front of two little kids. And, you know, just this, but hang on, I have to start with the power of the gospel. And the thing is, oftentimes when we elevate certain individuals, we might not realize that Christ died for all men. Christ died for sinners of whom I am chief. And so we have to be very careful not to see certain individuals as more loved by God or more promoted by God. The reality is we need to, like Jude says, keep ourselves in the love of God, enjoy his love more. But it's not that God loves me more. It's just that I'm enjoying his love more as I walk in intimacy with him. And so that's a danger. I think a pedestal Christianity is we can miss out on the gospel. And and one other thing I'll briefly mention is this. Um, we, we miss, uh, we also, uh, can, can be disillusioned in our faith. And I think we'll come back to that a bit more. And that is that when we promote a certain individual, we're actually making them a target of the enemy. It's very obvious that, I mean, it's just strategically, like if you see sports, you know, you see certain individuals, the coach of the opposite team is going to say, Hey, watch out for this guy. You know, number five, when he moves, move with him, we're going to double team them. The point being is as we elevate these individuals, we're not doing any service to them of, of beneficial service, at least. Because ultimately, we're going to target on their back um, because as we promote them and then they fall, what do we do? We associate them with the gospel, with Christ. But what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1? He says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ Jesus. In other words, look at my actions. Take back to the word of God. Does it look like Christ? And I think one of the most powerful things a leader can say is my action did not imitate Christ in the way I said that or in the way I responded there. And what are we doing? We're not pointing them to ourselves. We're pointing them to a broken individual who's been transformed and is being changed by the power of the gospel. So just kind of laying that foundation. And the final thing this is 20 seconds. Uh, 1 Corinthians one thirteen or verse 12 and then verse 13. Uh, it, it, Paul says, People are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and then even I'm of Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? Like, does he have all these different parts that we're of? And it comes back to it. it Ultimately, it's not being of someone. It's being in someone. And that's in Christ. That's our foundation. And that's why I think we really need to watch out in the church that we're not putting people on pedestals, but we're looking at the cross of Christ. So you've traveled around obviously quite a bit. Um, we were t- talking about that. So what do you see um, in the American church that concerns you? Uh, what do you see maybe the difference of how church is done in other countries versus how it's done in America? Kind of give me your sense of observation. Yeah. And I want to say, because I'm assuming that the primary audience I'm watching right now will be the American church. I, I, agree. Yep. I, I acknowledge there probably are some others and uh, thankful for you uh, watching this podcast or listening, but we have to understand our responsibility in the American church. Uh, we really are the um, epicenter of Christian media. And I don't say that in a bragging kind of way. It's just simply fact. A lot of most Christian media comes from the U S and I know that I, I go to a lot of very remote areas of the world. And I see literally books that were written for American audiences that are translated to that language. And they may not even know some of the references, but I'm telling you, like it's primarily speakers from the States, it's media from the States, music from the States. And so as I look at other churches, a lot of times I see a reflection of the American church. I didn't say of Christ, but the American church. And so there is a responsibility we actually have to be very careful knowing that um, 
there that, that we are impacting and touching many other places. So I say that just as a, a disclaimer or even as an encouragement, but also exhortation. What do I see in the American church? Um, so one thing that we need to be aware of, I'm not saying it's, it's altogether negative, um, but we are using Christian massively as an adjective now. Um, and we, we see it just like tied to whatever, whether it's Christian music, whether it's a Christian film, whether it's a Christian podcast, whether it's a Christian nation. <laughs> uh, and, and what happens when we put um, this word there, we now associate whatever the content is with Christ per se, or with our faith, which I think is a very dangerous thing. I, I, we really need to make sure that we're pointing people back to the word of God. And so when we hear a message, I mean, I know when I'm preaching, one thing I tell people is I say, obviously, like I'm not intending to say anything that's going to, to misdirect you. You know, I pray that everything I say is guided by the Holy spirit, but please take everything I'm saying back to the word of God. Right. Um, I, I think we've gotten, I might be wrong, Carl, but I think we've gotten a lazy Christian culture where we accept things as, okay, this is a Christian artist. This is good doctrine coming out. It's not necessarily. Uh, and uh, and the thing is, there might be a lot of good in there. So I, I'm not like saying, hey, throw out that song. Like, no, maybe there's a lot of great content, but there also might be some things we need to question as followers of Christ because it doesn't line up with the word of God. Um, and so being right. Christians that think, it says, uh, it tells us very clearly, Paul speaks to the church at Corinth, take every every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so we're taking into captivity because there's a bigger filter that we're looking at than an adjective placed on the word. That's one thing. The one other thing I'll touch on, obviously there, there could be many other things, but we live in a very divided world. But the problem is that divided world is very translated to the church today, um, divided in many ways. It starts out with denominations. Uh, it can start out with with labels that we put on. And since we're talking about media here, labels we put on speakers, whether it's uh, he's charismatic. Now, what does that mean? We don't know what it means. Charismatic in and of itself. I hope we all have charisma. I hope we all are charismatic. I hope that we're all spirit filled. But then uh, we can put a lot of twists on it. I don't know what it means. I have to listen and take it back to the word of God. We can say someone's evangelical, but just because they're evangelical does not mean that they're gospel-centered. We need to take it back to the word of God so labels can really divide instead of allow us to go back to the word of God and filter what's being said. But when you think of division, this is what really uh, burdens me. And I think it burdens me in a good way. I hope I'm always burdened by this, but there's a division where I see a greater unity, even in the church, on things that don't pertain to the blood of Jesus Christ. I'll give you an example of what I mean. We look at uh, elements uh, to be a vehicle of the gospel, which the word of God does not indicate our vehicles of the gospel. For instance, our nation. Um, we view politics so often. I see this in the American church. And I go to persecuted countries, and like this is the last thing they would ever think. But we see, oh, man, the way D.C. goes is the way the church is going to go. Change doesn't start in the White House. Change starts in our house. It starts in God's house. It starts with his people. And so what I see oftentimes, and this is a, this is a sobering statement, I see oftentimes there's more unity with two people that are Republican or two people that are Democrat rather than two people that are in Christ. Uh, I, same thing with maybe a sports affiliation, two people that are fans of the same college football team rather than two people that follow the Lord Jesus Christ and make disciples. And, and then what we also see with that division is we see a competition of sorts. I'm not in competition with anybody else out there speaking and spreading the gospel. 
I praise God for them. May their ministry increase. May it bear much fruit. May Christ get much glory. This is not competition. The body of Christ cheering. We're, uh, we're pushing each other on towards that day when they stand before Christ. And I pray they'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm happy to decrease and see others increase. If somebody else has already said it in another way, let, let's share what, 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 what's been said, which is truth, pointing to Christ and giving him glory. And, uh, and I think that the thing that I come back to on your question is, what am I seeing in the American culture today is we, okay, this is really I think important, we, we almost come to platforms which are not the word of God. So for instance, uh, give you examples. I could say I'm pro-life. I'm very pro-life. I'm extremely pro-life. In fact, uh, I would die for the lives of the unborn, not in a way that obviously is unholy. Like I'm not going to go out there and bomb a, a abortion clinic. That, no, that, but I'm gonna, I would give my life for the sake of others. Absolutely. But because I'm pro-life, you know what else I am? I'm also pro-life. I'm pro those that are already living. I'm pro-people. In other words, now, if, if I care about those that haven't been born, I also look at you, Carl, and I say, wow, Christ died for you. Like, how can I look at others around me and not respect them with that value, intrinsic value, whether it be a refugee, whether it be somebody of an opposing political party? What? Because I'm in Christ. So in other words, because I'm in Christ, there are things that come along with that, but it's not because I'm Republican or Democrat or whatever the case might be. So I just want to encourage the American church that as we think about who we are, ultimately we are in Christ. And now that is the platform we stand on. And when we stand on these other things, I can tell you that as I follow Christ, some days I look like a Republican. Some days I might look like I'm a Democrat or I might look like I'm neither. But the thing about it is, that's not who I am. Who I am is I follow Jesus. And when I go to other countries, there's not this confusion because oftentimes the governments don't even uh, play around with the idea that, yeah, we, we love Jesus Christ. And so that's not the issue. Obviously, I was living in North Africa recently, and it's very much the opposite for, for followers of Christ. So that's that. One final thing I'll say on this topic of the differences Um and that is, and I think we might come back to this like on conclusion, um, but persecution. Um, I, I really believe that in the United States, uh, we're coming to this point of more persecution. We see it from different elements, um, and especially from just uh, hate speech when it's not in reality hate speech. I've had cancer for the last year and a half, although right now it's it's in remission. And I just think how how. Um, how cruel it would be of the doctor to look at my scans and realize I have cancer and then to say, oh, you're fine. That's a terrible doctor. He'll lose his license immediately, I would, I would hope. Yeah. Um, but same thing true in our world today. I'm a sinner. I, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. I found the cure, the cure for my soul. Um, and it, it's the opposite of hate speech when we, when we are in society and say, hey, the problem is not that you're broken and a sinner. The problem is that we haven't turned to the Savior. And so we're coming to a day and age where as sin is addressed, um, there are consequences. But I just want to encourage the church in America and those that might listen or share these thoughts that you want to look where the church is growing the fastest. It's really where persecution is the highest. And as as lives are, I mean, Iran is, is literally the fastest growing church in the world right now. Uh, percentage wise. And well, why, why would that be? I think it's because there's incredible costs and what it's doing is it's weeding out um, those are, who are truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth versus um, versus those that are coming for just merely an experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
<clears throat> so in in uh, the last few years, we've seen several prominent pastors and leaders fall because of moral failures or different things like that. So kind of t- two questions here. Um, one, maybe they certainly uh, didn't set out to have this moral failure. So they're, they're, most of them, you know, their their heart was in the right place or whatever at first. And they're, they're you know, it just kind of morphed along the way or, or you know, that they're, their platform is growing and growing and growing. So maybe talk to pastors for a second. What are some guards that we can put in place for me myself to not to to stay humble, to uh, to not to make sure that I'm not putting myself or that others are putting me on a pedestal? Does that make sense? So good, it does. And wow, what a fabulous question! And first of all, I just want to acknowledge my place in even answering this question. I'm not acting like I have the answers. I'm not acting like this is an easy question. And in no way is my answer comprehensive. So just um, take take what's being said again. Um, the bits and pieces and again, go back to the word and to prayer and the Lord will guide you in this, but I will put some thoughts in. Uh, first of all, I want to encourage pastors um, that have fallen, that the the Lord does not discard. In fact, he takes broken pieces. He makes beautiful mosaics of his glory. And we have to just recognize that, um, that, that he, he has a very different economy of value than we do. And sure, maybe the ministry will look different and maybe people's perceptions will be different, but the Lord is looking for one thing from your life. That's faithfulness and faithfulness to respond, faithfulness to repent, faithfulness to walk in obedience. And that, that happens from any point of our life, if we're willing to submit and just remember this, the Lord always picks us up where we're at. doesn't say get back to somewhere else. He picks us up where we're at when we're willing to repent. But let's talk about just kind of this, this bigger picture. Um, when pastors fall, like there could be disillusionment, whatever the case is. I, I think recognizing one thing from the beginning is very important. And that is don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Uh, don't, don't discard the teachings that you've heard from this individual right. because of moral failure or right. some kind of sin. I, I can't trust anything he's ever said. Exactly. Exactly. And we, we see this happen frequently um, where it's just all, Oh, so-and-so said that like it's a, and here's that's exactly what the enemy wants to do too. He he wants the impact of that teaching. He wants the impact of the word of God from that mouth to be um, thrown. So I just want to say, be careful of that. The other thing to be careful of from the outside looking in is be careful to just justify it because of how the Lord's used that person. Um, sin is sin, and whoever's life it's in, it's it's sin, and sin needs to be dealt with. And I do believe that in public ministry, oftentimes sin has to be dealt with in a more public way. And that's that's again. It's difficult, but the reality is, it's because like, basically to, to whom the sin is exposed in the sense of um, or, or effects, then it has to be dealt with within that affecting um, zone. So I understand that side, but this, at, at the same time, um, as we're dealing with sin, what's the point of dealing with sin? It's not to make the person feel bad. It's not condemnation. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's ultimately for restoration in the end. It doesn't mean restoring to a position, but it does mean restoring as a brother or sister in Christ. So just putting that on that side. With with pastors, though, answering your question directly, this is what I think is one of the biggest assets we have as as pastors, as teachers, as um, public personalities, whatever you want to say. We must come in humility to the Word of God 
And even as we share with others quickly, quickly, recognizing that the gospel is for us, recognizing our weakness, recognizing that that two of the or one of the greatest tools that God's given us is confession. It doesn't mean airing dirty laundry. It doesn't mean telling you everything that I've ever done. That's not the point that draws attention to me. But really coming across, recognizing that I'm the first one susceptible. I'm the first one vulnerable. I'm living before others, not as I've got this and I hope you catch up to me, but saying I'm seeking to imitate Christ. And as I seek to imitate Christ, um, please learn from the good, good and learn from the bad. I, I disciple quite a few young men on this journey. And the first day that we just, I mean, uh, obviously we knew each other before that point, but as we intentionally entered this discipleship relationship, I tell them from the beginning, you're going to learn as much from the things that don't reflect Christ as you are from what does. And I think those are the ones that will probably stick with you. And so try and be quick to say, man, I was a complaining spirit, or I was not thankful in that situation, or the way I responded to that person was not putting the value of the cross on their life. So as pastors, as teachers, let's lead in humility. I remember being with Ravi Zacharias one time, and I, we had like a 20-minute conversation. At the end of the conversation, I just asked him, I was like, immature 20 year old in the sense of uh, I'm not saying I'm mature now I'm not saying like oh I've got this now but I just remember um, my, my question was really coming from a different direction which I think he read right through and I said just give one advice to somebody who um, has the heart to invest their life into seeing the unreached reach and he looked at me and says Nathan above everything stay humble stay humble that was it Robbie Zacharias come on I, this dude's got some intelligence stay humble that's it and that stuck with me. I am in Christ. He's my identity. And so as we think about pastors, just keep coming back to who you really are. And here's the beautiful thing. If you fall, has that identity changed now yeah, no. in Christ? So I think that this can relate to not just pastors. So I don't want people to think, oh, I'm not a senior pastor. Forget right. it. But if you are on a on a stage, if this is a uh, you know, if you if you're on the platform, um, you know, I know a lot of worship leaders that can struggle with, um, you know, so many eyeballs on them, uh, meaning um, you call it fame, call it pedestal, call it, you know, people looking at me like that. Humility can be can be an issue um, and can be, um, you, you know, something that we can that we can struggle with if we're on the platform because we have a lot of eyeballs on us and um, and a lot of people will recognize us in public or, you know, things For like sure. that. So I think, yes, I think that staying humble is uh, we need to guard ourselves. We need to put steps in place to make sure that we're um, yeah. that we're doing that. Um, okay. So tell me about, uh, let, let's talk about if I've been at a church who's the pastor has had a failure or the church has suffered some type of of blow from from people being put on a pedestal how do how do i as the church member handle that a lot of people might feel lost confused i know in seattle um uh, with uh with mark driscoll's uh, church uh, you know mars hill the, the the church just dispersed everywhere and, and so all over seattle you have these people that were in the church that are like i'm confused I'm, I'm confused. I'm lost. I don't know where to land. Um, and, and that's just one example. And, and, and uh, I hope people hear my heart there that I'm not really trying to pick on them, but I'm just using them as an example of, you know, 
people are being displaced. So if I'm a church member that's experienced some type of struggle with that, how do you, how do I handle that? Yeah. First of all, encouragement on that note. Um, I mean, I, probably both of us would say that in our life, we've been blessed by Mark Driscoll um, in some way or another. So I, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for him. But I also look at like in the book of Acts, you know, when persecution hit the church, it dispersed. And, and at times I, I actually, I, I wonder if uh, I didn't say the Lord caused it. That's not at all zero, 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 but, but there are um, God uses, God uses these situations. And I wonder if at times that dispersing is exactly um, his way of, of blessing many others and ultimately seeing other areas accessed because we can get very much a holy huddle mentality in the States and with our campuses and whatnot. And um, are the gifts in the body of Christ being developed with, within the mega church atmosphere? Nothing against that, but are they, um, or are we looking to one to kind of bless us when in reality God's blessed the body and he wants others equipped. So all I'm saying is I'm thankful that the Lord takes those situations and, uh, and definitely uses them. But here's uh, something I come back to Carl on your question. Uh, and, and I don't say this dogmatically, but I definitely say it as a very strong suggestion. Um, if we are disillusioned by the fall of a woman or a man, was our confidence in that individual? And could it be one of the greatest blessings for our spiritual life? I say this very hesitantly in the way I'm saying it. It's a poor way to say it. Um, could it be that 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 their fall was um, was what we needed to recognize our own heart's condition? Um, are we are we looking towards these individuals and putting them in a place that only the Word of God, Christ, deserves to occupy? And I don't just discard those disillusions, saying, "Oh, you know, you were in the wrong." No. But I'm saying allow this um, this chaotic time to really draw you back to saying, all right, hang on. Where is my identity? Is my identity I'm a member of Mars Hill? Is my identity I'm my pastor is Mark Driscoll in this context? Um, or is my identity in something which Mark Driscoll can't touch, Mars Hill can't touch? Um, and as we recognize that, and as we see the brokenness in our community, this is the chance for us to come alongside and be encouraged, recognizing that just like Mars Hill can't touch my identity, death can't touch my identity. <laughs> like, because again, death is just the portal to eternal life. And so with that said, I think it, it's a time for us to come alongside each other, um, to, to ask each other tough questions and say, all right, where are we hurting? What part of us do we feel like we've lost? And then as we, we see what part of us we've lost, let's come back to the word of God and let's find a foundation we can fall on. And what that foundation to fall on ultimately is going to be is who we still are and who we are forever. That that pastor, that local church, or whoever it might be, music leader, but ultimately can't affect. So that's why I encourage is take that time just to step aside and find your true identity and as you find your true identity, I believe that you'll move on more encouraged than you ever were before. Um, and, and also remember that that person that maybe disappointed you, the Lord's not done with them yet either. Yeah, good, good. Okay, so what ideas do we communicate by the way that we define worship uh, in the church? So here's what I'm getting at. Uh, we minister to, um, to help churches with their worship experience. Uh, yeah. media content and training. Um, and it really is in America, it's, it, it's an event every Sunday, every weekend. Yeah. So how does this differ 
you know, the worship experience being kind of an event. How does that differ as it relates to churches around the world? Yeah. So I, I, I know that terminology is definitely something we have to be careful of. I'm speaking about myself, like what I'm saying right now, I'm not saying what you've said, but terminology is something I have to be careful of. So, so give me a lot of grace um, on the terminology, because again, I'm looking for the right words here, but uh, I do think that when we think about uh, worship as an event, that's fine. Um, but the question is, how does that event translate into uh, how does that event translate into the rest of life in the sense that let's talk about prayer as a kind of an example of what I'm talking about. It says to pray without ceasing. Well, we know good and well that like, what does that mean? I'm talking all the time. That's not even the word for prayer. Um, but I have my prayer times. I have times where like I'm in the prayer closet, but obviously like I don't spend all day in the prayer closet. Um, I'm not in the prayer closet right now, but am I still in prayer? It says pray without ceasing. Well, prayer is just to turn my face toward God. So yes, I, I pray that as we're having this conversation, my face is towards Christ and asking him like, what do you want communicated through this? Um, and as I live my, my day, like I am a follower of Christ. So it's not like I've got my times with Christ. Christ is my life. Worship, very similar. I see worship not as something primarily that we um, have an event that we do, although events, just like that prayer closet, catapult the rest of worship. Uh, so I, I encourage those events. But at the same time, I challenge that those events not be something which begins and ends. Like, let's not start our worship. Like, let's continue our worship now in this event, and then let's continue as we walk out the door. And why do I say that? Well, in John 4, Jesus, when talking to the woman who comes and meets him at the well, uh, he says the Father is looking. This is the Father's wish list. This is what God wants. He's, the Father is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Notice he's not just primarily looking for worship. He can get worship from anything, from rocks, the trees. I mean, he can, he, God can get wor worship, but he's looking for worshipers, those that have been redeemed, those that will uh, surrender their hearts to him. And what he's looking for is true worship, obviously, because in, in Matthew 15, he says, yeah, many of you are worshiping me in vain. You're doing it with your lips, but not with your life. And that's really where it comes down to. So when we think about worship, we're declaring the value of Christ. Well, let me tell you very clearly in scripture, you're not going to declare the value of Christ with your lips. You're going to declare the value of Christ with your life. And then your lips are just an additional component. But we see the sacrifices that God wants are a broken and contrary heart. So as we think about this worship experience, I completely say, yes, praise God. Uh, praise God for 1230 Media. Praise God for others that are, that are, let's say, leading the way in seeing these Sunday morning times happen or whenever they happen. But what's the goal of it? Right. Is the goal to simply be motivated or is the goal in that to be refocused on who Christ is, not who the music leader is, not how good the song was or how appropriately the band played? I know some churches that make sure they have um, some music people up there that are not that good at what they do, just to make sure that everyone realizes this is for everyone. I'm not encouraging that. I'm not saying go pick out the worst voices and say that's our, our, our choir, or that's our, our um, worship team for next week. <laughs> but what I am saying is that our job as worship leaders is to point people to Christ, to see him high and lifted up, and then ask, how does his position, his value, his worth translate into the way that I interact with employees on Monday morning, how I interact with the person sitting next to me on the plane, how I interact you know, when I need to practice patience. I'm speaking to myself right now. That's why I'm giving these examples. Um, so that's, that's really where I kind of come back with 
worship. And one final thing I'll say on this, Romans 12, 1, we know the verse very well, present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, and it goes on to say, this is your spiritual worship. Notice it says, present your bodies. Doesn't say present your lips. Doesn't say even present your ideas and your thoughts. Present your bodies. So the ultimate, um, let's say, result of worship is going to be a presentation of ourself. God seeking worshipers, not just our little worship, but ourself, who we are. So our name, 1230 Media, comes from Mark 1230, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. Um, and he talked about the, the greatest commandment is to love God. And that everything flows out of that. And Amen. the second is like it. You're going to love people. So our entire faith is boiled down into those two things, loving God and loving people. So that's the reason that we named our ministry. What we named it is to yeah. focus on that verse, Mark 1230. Okay, so here's how it relates to worship experience. We can push the button the right way. We can have the best song presentation the world has ever seen. But, it, but we can craft the best message. But if it's not moving people to life change, Amen. then it doesn't matter at all. So, so the life change is what it's all about. So it's, it's transforming lives. It's, it's presenting the gospel in a way that, that lives are being changed and that worship is an, is an outflow. So you're going to get me preaching. Um, but so, it, that, so the name for us is a reminder of that. It's a reminder that the, we might be okay with an event, but the event should be a launching pad for a lifestyle. Absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, you're going you're gonna to get me rolling on that. I couldn't agree more though with that. Um, awesome, man. Well, as we kind of wrap things up today, give me your thoughts on biblical discipleship. Um, you've had a lot of experience with this, and I think that it relates to our conversation because, um, well, why don't I, I ask you, tell me how it relates to, tell me how biblical discipleship relates to um, keeping ourselves humble, pedestal Christianity, um, relates to those two things. Walk me through Completely. That. I think it does tie this whole conversation together and I can keep this one very, very short. Um, there's, there's chapter 10 in, in um, the book I wrote, what if Jesus meant what he said, which I think we're just going to mention at the end. And in that chapter, it's all about this, this type of discipleship and how it does bring together these different elements. And when I think of discipleship, which is completely a command, it's not a suggestion for a follower of Jesus Christ. What is discipleship? It's not a Bible study on Saturday morning at IHOP with someone. I'm not saying that as bad. That's part of discipleship, but that isn't discipleship as a comprehensive thing. When you look at discipleship in the word of God, it's discipleship in the word. Yes, but it's also in the way as an everyday life, as we're living life together. And that goes back to pedestal Christianity. As we share life, we're making disciples. What are they seeing? They're seeing the good, the bad, the ugly. But what they're seeing ultimately is a foundation of Christ and how the word of God uh, translates everything into, is it for the glory of God? Whether I eat, whether I drink, whatever I do, do it all to the glory of God, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, And that's what's exciting about discipleship is we share in the word, in the way, and in the work, the work of what God is doing. And so as it, whether you're uh, you're running the tables at the back of a, uh, a church or whether you're, um, whether you're up front or whether you're sitting there, the question is, who are you bringing alongside your life? Yeah. Yes, you're teaching them what you do, but everything through, whether you're adjusting the audio level or whether you're editing, are you doing to the glory of God? What does that look like to do to the glory of God? How do all these components fit together to honor Christ, to show his worth, worship? And so we disciple 
by again having bringing others alongside in the word how it all comes back to the word in the way how whatever we do do to the glory of God and in the work, how ultimately it's sharing, promoting, pushing forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. So discipleship is just like worship in the sense discipleship is not something you do on Saturday morning. Discipleship is a way that you live life and intentionally bring others alongside. Jesus did not accidentally have 12 that walked closely with him or 70 that walked around him. It was intentional that those 12, it says he chose them and he chose them to give us an example as well to do likewise. So I would ask whoever's listening today, who are you discipling in the word, in the work, in the way uh, daily, or at least frequently? Um, And you're going to find great blessing in that because that also is going to bring us back to that humility aspect of recognizing, wow, I'm a broken individual. I do not want people becoming a follower of Nate Ramson. That is for sure. I do want them to see Christ in me and learn from that and then go on um, to serve him. Well, this is a this is a terrible segue from what you just said. Um, so uh, we want I want to mention your book, but I also want to mention th- that this is the total reverse of what we've uh, that th- this th- all uh, works together. Meaning, you you sell books, but the but the money doesn't go to you. You no. it goes back to into ministry and things like that. So why don't you walk me through that? Yeah, I'm well, here promoting for, you is what I'm getting. Uh, no, first of all, I mean, like, it, it's just like when Rock International Relief Opportunity and Care for Kids, this organization, I started to work with street children in the Middle East. When it started, mm-hmm. one of the first things we did is we said all the money that goes to it has to go directly to the ministry and the kids. Um, and I can say that, you know, 13 years later, it hasn't even played, paid for a plane ticket for me. So the point being is, like, this is just get money out of your mind. Um, we want to see the gospel go forward. And all of our resources you can download for free at our website, rockintl.org. Um, and so I just say that from the beginning, but our passion is to see a generation be unconditional followers of Jesus Christ and then see the gospel go into the uttermost, par- uttermost parts of the earth. And so, uh, yeah, so, so this resource, what if Jesus meant what he said, um, is a, a book that God laid in my heart for over a decade of working primarily with young people, 15 to 35 year olds. And the, the, the burden on my heart is this, what if Jesus meant what he said? You might say, well, he did. Well, hang on. If he did, how does that change what I say? How does it change the way I view relationships in life, the way I treat relationships in life? How does that change the way I disciple? How does that literally hijack every area of my life? And I want to say something about this book. This book is not the answers to all your questions. This book leads you on a journey of questions saying, if Jesus meant what he said, then you and I have to ask ourselves questions. And the beauty of it is it's just as appropriate for someone who is not in full-time ministry, who's in the work world, as it is for a high schooler in a, in a public school in the United States, as it is for a pastor on the stage. It's the same for all of us because the questions don't change. The answers look different, but the questions don't change. And so the idea is to take us on a very difficult, uh, introspective journey um, with, I trust the mind of Christ and say, if Jesus meant what he said, what's going to change? Okay. Last question for you. What is the craziest place in the world that God has put you in maybe a story of life change from that place that you're like, I cannot believe that God did this in this place. Man, I've got a lot of those. Um, I don't know about craziest because crazy I define like a lot of different ways. But for many years, I lived in Egypt. And I'll keep this story incredibly brief. The full version um, is also actually in the book. Um, But 
in when I when I worked in Egypt for many years, I, I worked at a children's home and orphanage, and I had six newborn babies I took care of at 19 years old. Actually, five girls and one boy. My job was to change the diapers, feed them, put them in bed, all two to six months old. Those babies. So imagine having sextuplets by yourself, like as a 19 year old guy. But anyway, um, two of my babies. They uh, ended up getting taken out and put in a, put in back to their home. Um, they weren't true orphans. And basically, I was just devastated. I'd never seen my little babies again. I just started praying for them by their crib. And I prayed for them for years back at college. I had pictures of them up on my dorm room wall. And I prayed and prayed. I prayed God would bring somebody in their life to love them, somebody in their life to share the love of Jesus with them. Cairo is a city of about 22 million people. I could say 30. It just depends on how many neighborhoods you want to count. But about 22 million people. Never planned to go back to Egypt in my life. Moved there years later, and I was working there with street children and with uh, a lot of other communities. Had no idea where these little girls lived. And long story short, three years later, uh, I'm walking a street. This 10-year-old comes out of a house, says, hey, come meet my family. I meet their family. I end up tutoring their kids. And as I'm tutoring their kids in this random gutted-out home in Cairo, Egypt, in a city of 22 million people, years after I said goodbye to my babies, and I'm still praying for these two little girls that I would never see again. That day as I tutored, two little girls walked into the room and I looked at them and I saw their eyes and I said, I know those eyes. And so I asked the 10 year old, I said, who are those two little girls? And she said, those are my little sisters. I said, no, what are their names? Because I knew those little girls. She told me their names and immediately I realized that in a city of 22 million people in a country I never planned to go back to in my life, God had not only reunited me with my babies, he put me inside their home with access anytime and listen to this. He made me the answer to my own prayer. I was the one to love them. And I was the one to share the love of Jesus with them. So watch out what you pray for, because God just might make you the answer to your own prayer for the sake of his glory. Crazy, man. That was so good. Um, well, man, I, I love you, man. I love thank you, too, brother. Thank you so much for uh, for spending time uh, with me today. I'd love to have you back and get some more stories from you. Man, I would love more time with you. And thanks for what you do. And keep keep promoting the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy. Hey guys, I've had the incredible privilege this year of speaking at several online events and conferences. And to be honest, I take a limited number of speaking gigs uh, each year to spend time at home with my family. But this year has provided a unique opportunity to say yes to more events. So uh, there are a few conferences that I'm speaking at coming up that I want to let you know about. Uh, That Church Conference, September 22nd through 25th. First Impressions Conference in November, and CFX, among others. But my talk at CFX will be on October the 27th, uh, and I'll be sharing some ideas on how to double your volunteer team. So in this session, you'll learn how to pastor your volunteers first, how to focus on your why, uh, how to structure your team, how to provide a clear on-ramp for new volunteers, how to train your volunteers, and more. It's a full hour of practical strategies for creating a thriving, dynamic volunteer culture at your church. I would love for you to join me at CFX. Just visit churchfacilitiesexpo.com to learn more and to register. Again, that website is churchfacilitiesexpo.com. churchfacilitiesexpo.com. Last year at SALT Conference, I caught up with my friend Phil Battle to chat for a few minutes about how to not make the worship experience about us, but how to make it about Jesus and putting him on display. So we answered the question, what is the win of Sunday? 
Here's what that interview sounded like. Hey guys, I'm here with my friend Phil Battle. Phil, you did a uh, main stage and then a workshop. Tell me a little bit about uh, your workshop especially. Yeah, so did two workshops, one on the, the new playbook for social media, just yeah. trying to help churches navigate the changing world of social and to yep. look at that not as a place just to be a marketing field, but a, a digital ministry, yeah. a digital missions field. That's where everybody's are, so we got to, as a church, find a way to reach them there where they are and connect with them and reach them with the message of Jesus. And then today was more of the cover some stuff from my book, but also more of just um, how do we how do we rethink communication in a way that um, knowing that we don't have a message problem, we have a message delivery problem. Yeah. So for us as creatives, we've got to find a way to be able to effectively communicate that and rethink communication to reach people where they are. Awesome. So you're talking to the SALT community, a lot of creatives. So if you had to drill it down to one job for creatives, what would our one job that we can focus on, what would that be? Yeah. I mean, the, the incredible people in the trenches, it's easy to get from Sunday to Sunday in a rut where you're thinking, I gotta make the lights look great this week. I gotta yeah. make sure our social is blown up and that we're getting engagement. I gotta make sure that our design looks good or our songs are great, you know. And I think those are all good things. There's people are in those roles because they're good at that. But the right. challenge I think is, the win is not that things look excellent. The win, yeah. at the end of the day, our one job is, are we putting Jesus on display with what yeah. God's given us? So I think at the end of the day, if we can filter everything we do, everything we create under the lens of, did this help put Jesus on display today? Yeah. That's that's our win. Because when we do that, Jesus said he'll build his church. So right. we, it's not on us to be able to control what's going to happen. We just need to be faithful to what God's given us and be faithful in putting him on display. Yeah, so that can change the game, right? So in our evaluations of, of the Sunday experience, it becomes yeah. less about did you move the fader right, did you push the button right, yeah. and more about the bigger win. Yeah, it, right? you think about like a photographer. Is your job to make the band look dope on the pictures? Is your job to you know, capture a big crowd? No, it's, it's capture those beautiful little moments where Jesus is at the center when he's put on display in that baptism moment, in that moment of worship, whatever it is. So if, our, if us as creatives, if we can do it under that lens, it makes it way less about us because it's not about us in the first place. Right. Uh, it makes it all about how do we capture this moment? How do we tell the story of Jesus being put on display in this? And that's what's going to change things. So give me one practical thing. That could be it, and maybe we go a little bit deeper, but give me one thing that I can take and use this week. Yeah, I think it's, um, you have to know as you put Jesus on display that from the grind of ministry, it's really easy to feel like the enemy is just going to be attacking you on what you do. It doesn't matter. What you do isn't worth the fight. It's not worth the hustle. It's not worth the grind that you're putting in. I think for us as creatives, our, our underneath that job of putting Jesus on display is actually just focusing on being faithful with that and, and letting God do the rest instead of worrying so much about how we're perceived or we're about do other people like my art? Do other people like what I'm creating? Don't worry about that. Just focus on putting Jesus on display and advocating for the people you're trying to reach in that community. So what would you define success on a Sunday would be? If I'm walking away from Sunday, where can I look back and say that was a win? For us, it's a did, legitimately our, our creative team's mission, our, our every photographer, video guy, we look at it under the lens of did did we plan a service that was designed to put Jesus on display, and did we accomplish that? Did we create barriers? Did we um, did we distract people away from Jesus? Did that moment be was that more about glorifying us rather than keeping our focus on Jesus in that? So I think I mean, it sounds simple, but really it so much gets clarified when we keep it simple, when we make it about that, and then we can evaluate and learn from that to figure out what worked, was reaching our community, how are we how are we um, hopefully pointing people towards Jesus that are far from God 
in our community and helping them experience that in our church. Awesome, man. Thanks for your time. Thanks. The show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com. Hey, guys, for more free training for your team, visit 1230.media slash training. There you'll find blogs, podcast episodes, books, and other resources to help you transform the worship experiences at your church. 1230.media slash training. Well, next week on the podcast, I welcome Ryan Wakefield from Church Marketing University. Ryan and I will be talking about some great church visitor gift ideas for visitors to your church. We'll have Ryan on the show for two straight weeks. So really, really good content from Ryan is on the way to you to check out. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Really appreciate you being here. More people are finding us each and every week. So if you are new, thank you so much for being here. Hope you stay with us, and we pray that this content will help you uh, at your church, help you transform the worship experiences at your church and make those better so that Jesus can be on display and so that you can see life change at your church. That's what it's all about. If we can help you with anything at all regarding your worship experience, whether that's in person or online, please reach out. We would love to help you. You can visit us at 1230.media. We'll go out there and create some incredible worship experiences at your church this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com.